Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, Stevens Creek Church. It is great to see you guys. Welcome to our Grovetown campus, our South Campus, Dream Center, everybody watching online, wherever you are, we're glad that you're here. It's a great day to be at the Creek, part two of this Vanishing Values series, where we're exploring what are God's timeless values and how do we recapture those in our world today. So as I was thinking about this series and kind of putting it together, my mind went back to a story I hadn't thought about in a really long time, back to when I was in middle school. So in middle school, I was a pretty good kid, and I had this cousin who was also a pretty good kid, but when we would get together, we would get really mischievous. You got a cousin like that or a friend? Well, be careful, all right? So we'd get together, and we would just want to pull pranks and that sort of thing. So one night, our families were both staying at the same hotel, and they let our parents let us walk around together, and we, we decided to pull a little prank. Now, in hotels you might notice that there's a little door hanger you can put on your door that says, do not disturb, right? Which is your way of letting the the housekeeping team know like, hey, I'm sleeping or I'm naked or I'm something that does not invite guests and I want you to stay on the other side of this door. Now, there's another sign that says, hey, please come in and clean. It's empty, I'm ready for some housekeeping. Now, at this particular hotel, we noticed that those two messages were on opposite sides of the same sign. So one side said, do not disturb. One side said, please come in and clean. And we decided to walk around the whole hotel and just flip each of those signs over. It's a really bad prank, guys. Don't don't do what I did in middle school. And then we laughed thinking about all these folks that didn't want to be disturbed that had this very enthusiastic housekeeping team burst in and these other folks that really wanted their room cleaned that nobody ever came. Now, with that prank, it's really nothing more than a little inconvenience, but on a, on a bigger and broader level, when we're living in a world where the signs are getting switched all around, the messages are getting confused, it causes us to walk through doors that we never should have walked through, and it causes us to stay away from doors that we should have walked through. When the value system gets messed up, it's more than just an inconvenience, but it's something that can actually have a detrimental effect on every single part of our life and our family and our world. And so in this series, we're trying to get the signs back to where they belong. We're trying to recapture the truth of what God has to say about what really matters, what's valuable, and how do we live in light of that. So the the principle we've come back to at the start of every message in this series is this one, if you're filling in the blanks, and that is that God is calling us to uphold his timeless values in a world that is rapidly abandoning them. We can't let the world be what shapes our value system. As followers of Jesus, we have to let his word shape our value system. And then we go out into the world and to the best of our abilities, we live that out. And a a verse that we've come back to each week is Romans chapter 12, verse two, which says this, don't let the world change you. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but let God change you into a new person by changing how you think or by renewing your mind, it says in some translations. Then you'll be able to know and do God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, it starts by putting his word into our minds and into our hearts and then living that out to the best of our abilities and allowing him to give us strength and guidance as we do it. Instead of us being warped by the the world's broken way of thinking, 
that we live by God's way, go into this warped world and love them and show them the light of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And over this series, that's what we've been talking about. Last week, we looked at the vanishing value of honor, what it meant to live with honor in a world that's, that's living in dishonorable ways. And today, we're going to talk about including the forgotten, being inviters, being includers. This is something that Jesus calls us to. So there's a chair on stage today right here. And it's here for a couple reasons. One, I'm getting to the age where at any time I might need to sit. And so it's here just in case. But more importantly, it's here as a visual, as a simple reminder that we need to expand our circles. We need to expand our definition of family. We need to pull up extra seats to our tables and make room for others because that's the heart of God. And that's what God has done for us. He has made a seat for you at his table. There's a seat with your name on it, an invitation you were called to receive. And we're gonna talk about that as we go today. Now, I know today is one of those days that kids are excited, kids are dressed up, candy tomorrow, they're gonna go door to door, it's gonna be a lot of fun. In our house, our kids like dressing up all year. So they get a new costume this time of year, but then they would always save those costumes. We've got all boys, so we've got a ton of superhero costumes. So by the time our fourth son came along, there was this like Hollywood-sized wardrobe of boy superhero costumes, and he thought that was the coolest thing ever. So he went through a phase, probably about a year, where every single day, no matter what we were doing, he wanted to dress as a superhero. And we let him. So here's a few pictures from that season of life. So just wherever we went, he wanted the world to know, hey guys, you're safe. Citizens, you're safe. I'm here. The Flash is here. Batman is here. The Hulk is here. I'm gonna take care of things. I think there's something inside of us, just instinctively inside of us, programmed by God, where we wanna be heroes, but not the kind that wear capes and tights. You don't have to do that, but heroes in a sense that we're making a difference in the world, a positive difference in the world. Jesus put that inside of us, and he says, you can be a hero, you can be great, and it's done by serving. It's done by including. It's done by loving other people the way he did for us and the way we're called to do for others. But we lose sight of that because I think we get so focused on our own little circle. We forget to make an extra chair. We, we say, oh, I'm going to take care of my family, my people, my family, and the rest of the world, they're on their own. But then God calls us to expand our view of what family is. A few years ago, I was back home in Kentucky where I grew up visiting family, and I was driving around one night, and, and I took an interstate exit, and, and right there on the side of the road, pushing his car that had apparently broken down, I saw my youngest brother, Drew. And, and I laughed, of course, because it's funny to, to watch your youngest brother uh, struggling. Of course, I stopped. I stopped to both help and to make fun of him. Um, and I stopped and I get out of the car and I'm like, oh, this is funny. We're, we're gonna, I'm gonna help him out because he's the baby of the family. Babies can't do anything for themselves, right? You've gotta always help them. I'm just kidding, babies. Chill, chill. But he is the baby and I'm like, mom will kill me if I don't help. So I stopped and I run up, uh, run up to, to help him and start pushing. And I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? And he looked over and he's like, oh, thank you for stopping. And he looked at me and I realized it wasn't my brother. <laughs> it's just some dude that looked like my brother. And my eyesight apparently is going. And then I had to play this off because I would not have stopped. He could be a serial killer. Have you not watched Netflix? Anybody could be a serial killer. And I'm like, hey, man. And he's like, yeah, nobody would stop. And I'm like, those jerks. What's the world come to? I mean, we got to help each other, right? I'm checking him out, making sure he doesn't have a knife or something on him. And 
we ended up pushing his car, and he calls AAA, and he was so thankful, and he was cool, and it was, it was great, and we, we had, had a good conversation, and then I drove off. And as I was driving off, I was thinking, well, man, there's no way I would have stopped if I'd have known that wasn't my brother. And, and I felt like God was just sort of whispering to me, not out loud, but just sort of in my, my spirit, kind of laughing and saying, Dave, that was your brother. You see, you've, you've got to see the world as your brothers and sisters because that's what God has called us to do. And yeah, we take care of those in our immediate family. Sure, we're called to do that as well, but we've got to, we've got to think bigger. We've got to pull up an extra chair. We've got to expand our circle. We've got to include those that the world's often overlooking, and we need to, we need to love. That's what God's called us to do. So the first principle is, is this as it relates to the family part of it, and it's that family isn't just defined by last names or by blood, but it's defined by commitment and by love. Jesus taught us really and displayed this kind of version of family. You know, one time his earthly family came to see him. They're like, hey, Jesus, your, your mom's here. Your brothers and sisters are here. And before he went to see him, he said, no, my mom, my brothers and sisters are the people who do the will of God. He, he's saying it's like, we're family. It's not just last names. It's not just blood. It's bigger than that. And we've got to live realizing that. And if we do, it'll change the way that we see the world. Jesus gave us some really important and powerful teachings to let us know we've got to do this. This is not an optional part of our faith. And we can't just do it with the people that are in, living next door to us. We've got to do it to the people that the world tends to overlook. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said it this way, giving us a picture of, of the, the end of the age when, when God is, is giving reward and judgment. He said, the king will say to those on his right, come to me, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So Jesus is saying, those folks that the world is avoiding, those folks where the, the world is walking on the other side of the street to avoid an awkward con conversation with them or confrontation with them, Jesus is saying we've got to have the courage to meet them where they are. And we can't help everybody, but when God puts somebody in our path that we can help, that we, we should help, because what we do to them, we're really doing with Jesus, to, to Jesus. But our world has gotten really good at, at networking and, and really bad at love. And, and I'll explain the difference real quick. Networking, and Jesus talks about this in a, in a verse we're gonna get to in a minute. Networking is when you do good for somebody because you expect they're gonna do something good back to you. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of this person. I'm gonna buy their lunch today because they're gonna buy me lunch next time. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not the same thing as love. Because when you're networking, your whole reward is just in the networking relationship. When you're showing love, which is giving to someone who can't repay you or giving to someone regardless of any repayment, that's what God did for us. That's what we do for others. And when we do that, God is the one who gives the reward. God's the one who, who gives us his, his peace and grace and says, well done, well done. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church 
that is loving well. I'm thankful for our Dream Center at our South Campus that is reaching people in the community, serving folks that are under-resourced, giving them in practical ways the love of God by giving them a hot meal or giving them clothes or backpacks when it's time to go back to school or, or Christmas presents when they otherwise those kids might not get anything for Christmas. That's showing the love of Jesus in such a practical way. I'm thankful for people in this church that you know go to Casa Shalom Orphanage, an orphanage in Guatemala that we support, and the, the hundred kids that are there at any given time, we, we get to give and support and love on those kids who, who otherwise would not have the very basic things that they need. I, I love being part of that, a church like that. I love that we've got people here that, that are living out passages like this. You know, I'm thankful for, for Larry Woods, who was here in our last service, and he's given his life to just go into prisons because Jesus said, Go to the visit the prisoners. When you've done that, you were doing it to me. And, and he's going every single week into prisons. I, got a, I brought a picture of Larry's prison ministry. Larry's the guy in the red over here on your right, my left. And he's doing services and programs and helping empower these guys and teaching them about the love of Jesus. And he's, he's, he's led so many inmates to Christ. And he's brought freedom into that place in Jesus' name. And I'm, I'm inspired by folks who are doing that kind of thing. And I'd love to say that like, I'm doing all that stuff all the time. But I, I'm not, like most of the time, I'm making excuses. I'm like, well, gosh, I mean, I, I'm busy. I got other stuff going on. You know, I don't, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna get involved. But the times that I do put myself out there, the times that I really, really think, what would Jesus honestly do in this situation? And then I do that, which happens again, less likely than I'd like to admit. There's always blessing. I think about one instance, this was years ago. Ashley and I were living in Florida many years ago, and near where we lived in Florida, there was a homeless community that lived in tents in this wooded area, and uh, the weather was nice there year-round, so a, a large community had gathered there, and, and we were going to eat lunch at this little buffet that happened to be fairly close to, to where this homeless community lived, and this guy rode by on a bicycle, and I, and I knew assumed at least that he was part of that community just because he, he looked weathered. You know, he just looked like he had spent a, a lot of time outside. He was riding a bicycle, had a long gray beard, and, and uh, he looked hungry. And so we were walking in this place and just kind of ran into him. And, and I was like, hey, man, are, are you hungry? He was like, yeah, I'm starving. I said, well, come with us. We'll, we'll uh, you know, pay for you to get this buffet. And he was like, oh, that'd be amazing. So he got in line with us. And I just thought I was gonna like pay the eight bucks and he was gonna run off and get his plate and get his food and that was gonna be that. But we went through the line and then he just followed me. Like whatever I, wherever I went, he went. Like wh whatever food I got, he got. And he was just like right, right with me, which is, which is cool, you know? And but, you know, there's that little pride part of yourself that when you're that close to somebody, you wanna tell people like, listen, I'm, I'm not the one who smells, just so we know, this. it's him, it's not me. But no, I, I, didn't, I didn't say that. He, it was fine. But he was right there on me, like, like cuddling almost, the whole place that we, we went. And then I thought, well, he just probably wanted to make sure he got his food correctly, and, and then he's going to go and get a seat off by himself, right? But then I sat down next to Ashley, and he sat down right with me. And so I'm like, cool, hey, yeah, let's hang out. And he started eating, and we started eating. And what I quickly realized is, yeah, the, the guy was hungry. He really was hungry. He needed the food. But what he really needed was for somebody to look at him and just hear his story. 
because he was so used to people just like looking down or looking the other way, which I was kind of doing. But then when I, I really looked at him and we started talking and I got to know him, his name was Bill, and he started telling us his story, I realized really quickly that Bill and I weren't that different. And in fact, some circumstances had happened to him that could have happened to me and I could be where he was. And I started having a new perspective and I started having this compassion. I started actually learning from this guy, like learning. I mean, he had some wisdom. He had, I mean, he had some experience. He'd been through some stuff, some stuff that I, I took for granted. Like he wasn't taking those things for granted. And as we sat there that day and we had that meal and then, you know, eventually we, we said our goodbyes, I, I looked at Ashley and, and we, we just said, man, we, we needed that. We thought we were doing something nice for some guy, but God used that whole experience to really impact us. And even like years later, sometimes we'll bring up that conversation. I mean, remember sitting down with Bill, the, the buffet? Like what, man, that was so neat. Like what he shared, what he taught. And when we'll say yes to God, when we'll enter into those moments that, that might feel a little uncomfortable at the time, when we'll make an extra seat at our table the way that God has done for us, we get blessed. We get blessed. And I wish I could tell you that I'd done those things more often and I want to do those things more often. It's part of why I'm preaching this message. It's not just an encouragement to you, but it's a challenge to myself to say like, like Lord, forgive me that I've not done that more. Help me to do that more. What else does the Bible say? We should invite and honor the people whom the world overlooks. Jesus has a heart for the people the world tends to overlook. Once Jesus was at this, this, uh, this dinner that a guy had hosted and he'd invited Jesus because Jesus was kind of, you know, becoming famous, and I think this host thought, well, I could have Jesus come, and, and now like people are going to think I'm a big deal. And Jesus used the opportunity to say this. He turned to the host. He said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't just invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. This doesn't, by the way, mean that you should never go eat with your neighbors or your friends or your relatives. He's just saying like the, the greater thing is like we, we've got to include those people that don't get invited. We've got to make room for those people who don't have family or don't have neighbors. We moved away to uh, Texas about five years ago because the marriage ministry Ashley and I work for is based there. And, and we were there. And a lot of good things happened there, but our kids who'd grown up here, they really struggled because for the first time in their lives, they were the new kids. And if you've never been the new kid, it's tough. It's tough to be the one sitting by yourself in the cafeteria. It's tough to be the one that doesn't, doesn't have a group. And my, my boys who had really good friends here all of a sudden had no friends and they struggled and it was hard. And then we eventually came back here and God made a way for us to come back here and still work with the ministry there. But when we got back here and they were so excited to reconnect with their friends, but as they started making those connections again, I said, but never forget the way that you felt when you were the new kid. Because God used that experience to give you that perspective to open your eyes because everywhere you go, there are gonna be people who feel left out, people who feel exactly like you felt. And so you know what that feels like. So be the one that's inviting. Be the one that's pulling up an extra seat. Be the one that's reaching out to that kid who's sitting by himself. Be the one that invites or includes. Say, come to youth group with us. Come to our small group. Hey, come, let's do this thing together. Engage in conversation with people. It makes a big, big difference. 
Don't just get all in our own little tight huddle when we miss out on the fact that there are people outside those huddles that are just looking for connection and looking for friendship. We've got to be inviters. And in particular, invite those people that the world often overlooks. Um, One of the most joyful, happiest people I know is a guy named Brewster McLeod. When Ashley was growing up in youth group, uh, her youth pastor was named Brewster. He was a super guy. He married us when we got married. Um, He was so fun, so goofy, so amazing, so funny, just always joyful. Loved Jesus, loves people. And then he kind of moved out of youth ministry, and he said, what I really want to do is I want to live out these passages that Jesus talked about. And I want to find a way to to serve and love people that have special needs that maybe don't get the same opportunities and they're overlooked because that's the heart of Jesus. And when I hang out with, with that community, like they bless me and they encourage me and their, their perspective, it challenges me. And their faith is so real and so pure because they've had to walk through challenges that I can't relate to. And, and I just wanna be part of that. So he started a ministry at the church. He eventually launched a big, a big thing called the Jesus Prom where he would invite uh, folks together that, that had you know, special needs and, and it would be a night for them to just be celebrated and to get dressed up and pampered. And uh, it was such a fun, fun night. The church got behind it. It was an amazing time. It, it was such a big deal that, that eventually Tim Tebow's organization took notice of what was happening at this one church and said, that needs to happen everywhere. And they adopted that model and rebranded it a night to shine. And his, it's been in churches all over the place, serving thousands and thousands of people. Well, Brewster, a few years ago, he retired from the church, but he goes, nobody retires from ministry and from love and from joy. And he goes, and this is my heart, this is my passion. Like these these folks that that I've been serving, like I never wanna stop doing life with them because they inspire me so much. So he started a nonprofit, it's a coffee house called McLeod's Coffee House, and he only employs people who have special needs. And it is the most joyful, amazing place. Every time we're back in Kentucky, we go, we got a picture of Brewster and some of his staff. That's Brewster in the back, standing up. And it is, it is a place where you walk in and there's, there's love, there's joy, and there's Jesus. And I'm just like, I just wanna hang out here. And the coffee's great too. And the, and the, and the desserts and all those things that are gonna be in heaven, plenty of coffee and desserts, I'm sure. Brewster gets it. Like, he's just one of those guys where I'm like, I just wanna be like you when I grow up, Brewster. I want to be like you because that's, that's the way we're called to live. We're called to bring that extra seat. We're called to love. We're called to invite. And I don't wanna miss out on those blessings that God has in store for us when, when we do. There are a lot of examples in the Bible of folks that received the blessing of inviting and including one of them is uh, when King David, it's a long story, so I won't read it, but I'll give you the kind of the quick recap. King David in the Old Testament, when he was at the height of his power, he thought back to his old friend, Jonathan. Jonathan had been the son of the former king, King Saul. Jonathan and David were best friends. Saul and Jonathan were both killed in battle on the same day. And David had been pre-appointed by God to be the next king. And so now David's like, but I wish there was a way for me to honor my friend and his legacy. Can you guys look and see if there's any relative that he has left that I can honor for his sake? And they do some digging and they're like, we found one guy, we found one living son of Jonathan, but he's kind of been in hiding because you see when he was a baby and there was all this turmoil in the kingdom, his nursemaid was trying to run him out of the, out of the castle to, to hide him and protect him. And she tripped and fell and he broke both of his legs when he was a baby. And they lived in a time where there was really no real medical care. And she was also keeping him in hiding. So whatever medical care he would have gotten, he didn't get. 
And as he grew, those legs never healed, which meant he couldn't really use them. So he was, he was disabled in a time when there wasn't support for folks that had those types of disabilities. And on top of that, he felt like he didn't belong anywhere. You know, his father was dead. His grandfather was dead. He, was, he didn't know who he was or if God had a purpose at all for him. And David, the king, found this kid and he brought him into the palace. And you could tell this kid just didn't have any self-esteem because David honored him. And, and the first thing he said, he looked down and he said, why would the king show honor to a dead dog like me. Like he saw himself as worthless. But David helped him to see, listen, you're royalty. You are, you're royalty in every sense. And God has such a plan for you. David remembered back to being an overlooked kid himself when his own father and his brothers said, there's no way that scrawny runt could ever amount to anything. And yet he was the very one God had chosen to be king. God told the prophet as he picked David, man looks at the outer appearance. People look at all the superficial stuff, but God looks at the heart. That's what counts. That's what matters. And David, as imperfect as he was, and he made some big mistakes, but he had a heart after God. And he helped this kid see that God had put a heart inside of him, a heart of royalty. And so he said, from now on, I'm gonna restore all your family's lands to you, all your family's wealth to you. I'm gonna put royal robes on you. And he goes, and you're now part of my family. And there's this permanent seat at our table for you. And every meal we have, you're gonna sit right here next to me. Your family, your family. And see, that's what God does for us. We're broken. We feel like we've been outcast. We've been rejected. And God, God looks at us and he goes, you're my son, you're my daughter. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, paying the price for our sin, it says now there's a place for you. You're a son, you're a daughter. And once you receive that gift of grace, there's a seat with your name on it at the royal table. You're now royalty, a son or a daughter of the king. And we gotta receive that invitation. The, the young man's name, by the way, in that story that David helped, his name was Mephibosheth. So all of you pregnant folks that are looking for a baby name, Right, I know it's like it's trendy to have weird names. So I want just one time to see Pastor Marty doing baby dedication and say, we're gonna bless little Mephibosheth today. <laughs> There's a lot of things you could do with that name. You call him Mephi, Phoebe, Chef. So for what it's worth, you're looking for names. It's not part of the sermon. This is just, this is free advice. And if, if any of you name a baby Mephibosheth, I will personally... I will make sure you get a substantial gift card to, to buy diapers or whatever, because I just, that would just make my day. Anyway. All right. One more point. You know, while I'm off on an ADD tangent, though, I want to remind you that next week, next week, Ashley and I are going to be up here together talking about the vanishing value of sexual purity. So I'm unofficially calling next week Sexy Sunday. Right, so you just, you're gonna wanna be here. Or maybe you're not, but I think you should be here. Maybe, I think you should be here. I will also say though, next week would be a great Sunday to have small children in the children's ministry where there's wonderful age-appropriate lessons. They're welcome to be here, but your lunch conversations might be different than you were expecting if they're in here. Um, it's fine with me, it doesn't bother me. I'm just, just putting it all out there. But I really do think this is such an important issue. 
And church should be the safest place, the best place on earth to talk about God's plan for sex in a world that with this particular issue more than any other has gotten so confused, so broken, has flipped the signs around more than any other. And we're living in the baggage and the wreckage of that. And it's time to reclaim God's plan for what sex is meant to be. And it's a beautiful plan, by the way. It's a beautiful plan when it's done right. It's a gift from God. And so even if that's an area of your life where there's been brokenness or or mistakes, even God's redemptive plan for grace, uh, I think is gonna bring you a lot of healing and wholeness and encouragement next week. But um, it's a week you're not gonna wanna miss, so sexy Sunday. Next week, (laughs) Grovetown, South Campus, I know you went in on it, so you make sure you're here. All right, back to the sermon. (laughs) Last point. We should love the people whom the world treats as unlovable right? We're like, yeah, I'm I'm down for loving people when they're lovable, but what about the unlovable ones? Well, we're all unlovable at times. You ever notice that people need love the most when they deserve it least? People, when they're acting the most unlovable, it's when they need love the most. Jesus says it this way, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. Jesus gave us these words as well from the Gospel of John. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus is saying, you want, you want people to know you're with me, that you're, you're following me? It's not just the bumper sticker you have on your car or the t-shirt you wear. It's, it's love. Are you loving people? Because when we're receiving God's love, which is changing and transforming from the inside out, the only natural response is to share that love with others, to say, look, God had a seat for me at his table. He's got a seat for you. And once you've sat at that table, once you've been with the king, with your savior, you're gonna see life differently. You're not gonna want anything else. So come and join us at this banquet that's never gonna end. There's a seat with your name on it. And love is what compels people to come. It's love. And what does love look like? It's not just a a gushy feeling. That's what world says love is. Love is a commitment. It's an action. It's serving the needs of somebody else. It's putting them ahead of yourself. That's what love is. And I'm gonna tell you one more story. It's a a story I shared years ago, but um, it's it's one that every time I think about it, I, I get a little teary-eyed because it was so impactful to me um, when it first happened. But I mentioned earlier in this sermon a place called Casa Shalom, which is an orphanage our church supports. I've been there several times, life-changing place, seeing these precious kids that have had such tough backgrounds that are now experiencing a place of safety and healing and joy. And, and the first time I went there, Pastor JT and I were checking it out and uh, Josh Hansen, Josh and his wife Jessica have given their lives to just kind of run this place. He was showing us around, giving us the tour, and he knew every kid and their story. He'd say, oh, that's Eduardo. We, you know, he was, he was eating out of a dumpster when we found him. He was five years old. His parents had been killed by a cartel. And now here he's, you know, he's thriving. That's, that's Rosalita, and, and this is her story. And they, all these kids had heartbreaking stories. But they had, their, they had this childlike innocence back, even though they'd experienced such a, incredible trials and circumstances that most of us can't even relate to. And then this teenage girl, just full of life, came just skipping over to Josh and she gave him a big hug and they spoke in Spanish for a minute and, and 
and then she, she ran off holding hands with some of the younger girls and, and Josh kind of got tears in his eyes and smiled and he goes, that's, that's Margarita. He said, her story is, is really something. He said, when she came here, she was 12 years old and she had experienced so much pain. Her father had been a horribly abusive man, abused her in the worst kind of ways imaginable. And so the government actually took her out of that home, which to be taken out of a home in that country, it has to be horrendous. And they placed her with, uh, with an aunt and uncle who said they would take her. But her alcoholic uncle abused her in the same terrible kinds of ways that her father had. And so when she was removed from that home and ultimately brought here, she was just a broken, broken little girl. And we prayed, God, heal her. God, help us to provide a safe place for her. But she just wouldn't let us in. She wouldn't talk. She wouldn't speak. She didn't trust anybody. And she had good reason not to. And so we just did our best to just love her and always had a seat for her right next to us at our table. And every meal, we'd say, you belong here. You are loved. You are precious. And she just wouldn't respond, but she would sit there and quietly eat. And we kept praying, God, help us to reach her. Show her your love, Jesus. Show her your healing, Jesus. And after several months of going on like that, they, just, they weren't sure that she was ever gonna open up. But they just committed to keep loving her and keep showing her the love of Jesus, keep praying for her. And then one night, when it was a sunset, and sunset at that place is magical. There's all these mountains, and, and it's just a beautiful scenery. And Josh and Jessica were sitting on a hillside, and there were little boys playing soccer and little girls jumping rope, and the sound of innocence and laughter filling this place and, and Margarita came and sat right next to Josh on the hillside, which she'd never really initiated any kind of contact like that, especially with men because of what she'd experienced in the past. And, and she sat even closer to him and closer to him, and he just kind of held his breath, waiting to see what was gonna happen. And then she really gently just leaned her head on his shoulder, and it just took his breath away. And then she spoke some of the first words they'd even heard her speak in the whole time she'd been there. And she said, Spanish, when I came here, I never thought I'd ever feel safe anywhere. She said, but here, I know that I'm safe. And she said, when I came here, I never thought I would ever feel loved. She said, but for the first time in my life, I know that I'm, I'm loved and I know that I matter. And she said, thank you. And then she got up and she started playing with the other kids. And Josh and Jessica were just sitting there with, with tears in their eyes as they watched her play. And in the months and the years following that, she just blossomed into this amazing young leader, this strong young woman who was now helping other kids in the, in the orphanage, other kids who'd experienced trauma. She was ministering to them and seeing her heal and seeing her blossom. They were reminded that God, you can do anything. Love, love makes a way. In a world of brokenness, in a world of pain, love always makes a way. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online and you feel broken. And you're like, Lord, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. I, I don't, my heart has just been hardened by all the stuff I've gone through. Pray that today would be the day that you would just let his love start to break through because he loves you and he has a plan for you. He wants to carry you through the pain that you're feeling. And he wants to bring you to a place of, your destiny on the other side, which is a place in his family, a seat at his table. That's who you are. This world might have lied to you about who you are, but God says, you're my son, you're my daughter. Put your faith in me. I've got a plan for you. 
And so as we close out in prayer, I just want to pray that we would receive that calling that he's given to us and that we would not only receive it for our own life, but we would live it out by inviting others to join us on that adventure of faith that Jesus has called us to. So at all of our campuses, let's stand up together as we close in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for loving us. As unlovable as we can be, God, you pursued us with your love. Jesus, you gave your life on a cross for us. You paid the penalty for us so that we could be with you forever, adopted into your family. And for anyone here today that has not yet received your invitation, there's still an empty seat at your table with their name on it. Let today be the day that they RSVP. Today be the day they say, Jesus, count me in. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. I'm turning my life over to you. Forgive me of my sins. Be the leader of my life. Adopt me into your family. Make me into the person I was meant to be and help me to live my life seeing myself and others through your eyes. And for all of us, God, as we leave this place, let us leave with a new resolve to receive the healing you have for us and to extend that love and healing to this broken world around us, to expand our circles, to add an extra chair at our tables, and to invite others to experience the goodness that we've experienced in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Have a great, great day. We'll see you back next Sunday. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.